I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Hi, everyone. I hope all is well. I'm excited to be back this week to speak with Melvina Hodges. Melvina is a fiber artist residing in South Bend, Indiana. She was born and raised in Benton Harbor, Michigan, where she began learning about fiber arts through experimenting with hair braiding, beading, and weaving. It was through these experiences that she found joy and realized her talent in creating with her hands. She creates clothing and accessories using traditional techniques such as block printing, sewing, weaving, spinning, knitting, crocheting, and embroidery. On a small scale, Melvina grows, processes, and spins naturally colored cotton that she weaves with. And we're so grateful to have her on the podcast this week. Hello, Melvina. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and kind of talking about how you got into the world of fibers? Wow. So um, I grew up in Benton Harbor, Michigan. It's Southwest Michigan, little small Rust Belt town. Um, about 9,000 people. So you can imagine this is a small community. Uh, very few people were uh, into textiles. Maybe you had people that did um, alterations or uh, maybe they did some embellishments, but for the most part, it was not, not much happening there. Um, but I did get some exposure from my grandmother. Uh, she uh, was an accomplished seamstress and she did some crochet uh, here and there. Um, So even though she was kind of done doing that, once I came of age, I still had some sort of affinity just through the exposure. Um, It really does seem like a a switch just got flipped and I all of a sudden, I got to learn how to do this. I wanted to make clothing and um, it started with learning to crochet. And, And the way I did is I literally just went to the craft store picked up a how to crochet book and it came with hooks and it, um, and then just got some, some acrylic yarn and, and, and figured it out. And it was just off and running from there. Wow. So you started with crochet and then you kind of found yourself slowly picking up weaving and spinning and, and all of the very different ways that you work with fiber. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of in a roundabout way. I mean, I think I, I learned persistence and, um, you know, the tenacity and all of that uh, from braiding, because probably the first exposure to, to actually doing things that require multiple steps and time was braiding. Now, that was something that was prolific <laughs> where I grew up. Everybody wanted to learn how to braid. And ever since I can remember, you know, me and my sister were trying to get our hands on a, a doll with a full set of hair, full head of hair, so that we could learn how to braid. And so uh, that was something we did and we spent a lot of time doing. Mm. And so when it came time to actually um, get into fiber arts, I think I already had that. I was already used to sitting down for, you know, eight hours, 10 hours working with fiber uh, because of that uh, prior experience. I I can imagine like after you said that I was thinking about it and I was like, that's so true. I remember growing up like braiding hair, just hoping somebody would let me, you know, put some plaits in and do some cornrows. Like I could definitely see how that could lend itself to getting into fiber arts. Yes. Yes. So it was huge. And um, I I think that in itself kind of helped me understand, you know, 
that I, I could be good at this. <laughs> you know, I could be good at something where uh, you sit and, and, and intertwine fibers and create something beautiful because uh, that concept was already there. And then, of course, you got the encouragement, you know, with uh, family members, you know, who even though they didn't do it, you know, they still appreciated it, um, that kind of work. And so as you started to venture into the different types of fiber crafts, how did you learn each one? Were, were you reading books? Were there certain blogs that you looked at? Like, what were the ways that, that you learned how to become what I would consider an expert at spinning raw fibers and weaving and, and crocheting? Okay, so we got to think this would have been the you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So, um, you know, e-commerce was just starting to happen and we were just starting to be able to go to websites and, and find information. And so it happened very slowly. And I think one thing sort of led to the next. So with crochet, it went, Oh, well, um, how am I going to weave, you know, larger things or, or more finer things? When I just have this one size and one type of yarn and this limited array of colors, well, I ended up um, submitting a, a, an afghan, a crocheted afghan into our county fair. Mm-hmm. And I won. I was a resort grand champion and I won a gift certificate to a yarn shop. Had never been in a, a real yarn shop before. Wow. And there I was, I, I purchased my first uh, natural yarn. It was actually cotton. And I was like, this is the kind of fabric I want to make. And so then that, that kind of got the wheels turning, like, okay, I got to find a way to get more of this kind of yarn. Um, and obviously the expense too. I mean, how can I get the price down? And so that's where the, the first, hmm, what if you spin your own kind of got in there. And then by, by, by this time, I'm, I'm heading off to college. And of course, someone who's got bitten by the fiber arts bug is going to choose a major of apparel, textiles, and merchandising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up, um, as part of that program, taking a class. It was a beginning weaving class, and it really was just kind of scratching the surface, but that was enough. You know, the, the professor brought in a spinning wheel one day, and, and that in itself, just the, the oh, people do this? Oh, you, it, it's something people do. That was enough to, you know, get me to, you know, seek out tools. Um, and then mostly books. So um, I would go, they had a nice library system where I went to school. And so I was able to check books out of the library. Um, I remember ordering a spindle kit from uh, eBay. <laughs> and that was it. And, and this is the, the concept of, Taking, you know, using a book and learning how to do something is not new. I mean, my father uh, would do that. He would, you know, buy a book, get some tools, and he'd build. That was his thing. He would build. He practically built our house as we lived there. Um, And so that wasn't an an unusual concept. So I'm definitely kind of a self-taught, collect the book, the knowledge, the information, tools, and go for it. Um, so yeah, it was just a steady, steady acquisition of skills, you know, trial and error. That's so amazing, <laughs> like to hear you kind of talk about how it really was self-starting and also you had to be motivated and like your excitement about fibers to get as far into the craft as you have is honestly so amazing. Yeah, well, and you know, I, I have 
pondered this for some time. And, and really the best I can come up with is I really think it is something that is inherent. Mm. It is passed on to you. It is inherited. This, uh, you know, 2000 people can watch the same demonstration and maybe two of them will become obsessed enough <laughs> to mm-hmm. want to learn it and understand it and then go so far as try it and master it. Um, so I really do feel like uh, perhaps we are, well, I know we are uh, really a, a continuation of those who came before us. And so that gets passed on and, and it just m- must be my, my turn. Absolutely. I I mean, I feel the same way whenever I think about my obsession with cotton, especially naturally colored cotton, because it's like, I can't put it down. I can't stop thinking about it. And I feel like so much about my life has made so much more sense as I've just continued to learn more and to do more. And so I absolutely hear you on that and and understand where you're coming from. And I kind of want to delve like deeper into your experience with cotton because it's so unique and I'm so inspired by your journey. I know what it was like for me when I first sort of found out that cotton grew in different shades and different colors, but I'm curious what that first moment was like for you and, and also like how you began growing it. Well, yeah, it really is something that literally fell into my lap. I mean, I was already knee deep into spinning by the time I discovered cotton. Um, But, you know, obviously what was most accessible was wool. Um, But once I began going to fiber uh, festivals, I would see cotton. And it was usually the white sliver, uh, very highly processed, very um, um, compacted, and straightened fiber. So it wasn't, you know, cotton as you would find it growing. Mm. Um, And I live in Northern Indiana currently. So it's not like I'm going to go past a cotton field. But one day, (laughs) um, I actually came across cotton growing, I was going to a weaving shop uh, near where I live. And outside of the shop was a plant and upon closer look, and I don't know why I slowed down enough to, to really inspect this plant, there were cotton bowls on this plant. Wow. Now, I, for a moment, it didn't even really register right away because the cotton was brown. At first inkling, I thought it was just old, you know, maybe it, you know, it was kind of rotten on the plant, but I, I was almost in disbelief that it was growing here because it's not supposed to grow here. But anyhow, I go inside and I talk to the shop owner and she's like, yeah, that's cotton. And, um, you know, I bought the plant at a festival and it's been growing. Um, it's brown. That's the natural color. And here you got to take a bowl. And I just I was ecstatic, not not just because, um, you know, I, I saw this cotton growing, but then at her get her generosity that she was just going to here have it, you know, this rare special thing. <laughs> Um, now, I had already tried spinning cotton and failed at it miserably. It was so hard to draft, and I just couldn't get a, a nice thread. Um, but when it was given to me as a gift, now, when someone gives you a gift, you got to make good use of it. You know, you got you to gotta show appreciation and use it. And so I got home with that one bowl, and first thing I did was I picked the seeds out, and it was so soft. It was like cashmere. And I did not want to waste any bit of this one bowl of cotton, this brown cotton bowl. And so I spun it on a spindle. And sure enough, 
it, I was able to get a nice, fine, strong thread. And I guess my only real understanding of why I was able to spin this, but not the other stuff was because this cotton was in its natural state. It still had the crimp and it, I'm telling you, it was a lot like spinning cashmere. And from then on, I was like, I got to get more of this. Well, how do you get more? Where are you going to get handpicked cotton that has not been pressed into some sliver? You got to grow it. And so that's how it started. That first bowl had 21 seeds. And all the brown cotton that I can grow to this day is from that one bowl. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and of course, then you start really collecting. And so, yeah, I found people that grow the, the white upland cotton. And then I, I recently found somebody that grows green. And so, yeah, all you need is one bowl and you can like go all the way down this rabbit hole. <laughs> right. That's so cool. And so I, I see that you have like different shades of different colors. As you've grown, have you found that your seeds have adapted to your environment or maybe the pigment has changed a little from when you first started planting it? Well, um, as far as adapted to the environment, I can't tell you that because I keep growing it in different places. Okay. So I don't know how adapted it is or how maybe this part of the yard is better than this. Um, I do not grow any large quantities. Mm. Um, I'm not really, you know, I'm not a farmer. I started off with a four by four, four feet by four feet, little square. And then I went to a four by eight. And then two summers ago, I did another four by eight um, plot. And so I just been little by little just, uh, and, and I've been trying different things um, to, to hopefully make it grow better. Some years I've nursed it better than others. Um, yes, I've had some cross pollination because I often do just put all the seeds In wherever. The- okay. Um, so yeah, I have like some tans and then I have some that, um, they look like they're, um, brown, but then when I simmer it in um, baking soda to kind of deepen the colors, there's like greenish brown. (laughs) So yeah, you get all kinds of variety, but I welcome that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a stickler for, uh, purity of any sorts. Nature, do your thing. Yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about naturally colored cotton is that it kind of just does what it wants and you kind of just learn to work around it. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful. It kind of, uh, when you just said that, it reminded me of when I had Sally Fox on the podcast and she was talking about how the way that she got her green variety was she was growing the brown cotton. And then one day she just found this one little bowl that was green. And she was like, what is that? And then she planted it and then she had a green variety. And I was just like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you know, naturally colored cotton has so many facets and there's so much to learn about it. Yeah. Well, and Sally Fox has been such a huge resource. I am so thankful that she's decided to start posting her story I don't know if you uh, go on, if you're on Instagram, she literally shares, you know, her whole process and that in itself, especially when you don't live around anyone else that is doing the same thing, it really helps to, to see and understand, okay, this is what, what goes into it. So you're not off on a limb, you're kind of doing what is necessary to, uh, to grow. And, and it's, it's great that people, especially um, farmers um, of cotton, are starting to share that information because for the longest time, it really has been a mystery. Like there's a huge veil between um, us fiber artists and producers. <laughs> and so to kind of make that more transparent, it's been so helpful in the journey. 
Yeah. And you kind of touched on, touched on it a little bit where you were talking about um, spinning cotton with a spindle. I'm curious if you can talk about um, using a, a cotton wheel also, which I know you have experience with, but maybe people who are intimidated by spinning raw cotton, like if you can maybe share some tips. I know you shared a couple with me. For sure. And I, I'm especially excited for it because as I spend cotton longer and more, I realize you can spin on anything. You can literally spin on anything. Um, my favorite way to spin cotton um, is using um, skewers, bamboo skewers and a bead. Mm. And literally that in itself can, can get you very productive. It does not take much. Now, uh, a few things that I can offer for anybody who's just starting off in spinning cotton. Um, you want to, if you're used to spinning with wool, you're probably used to using a short forward draft. What you really want to do with cotton is you want to let a little bit of a t- the twist go into your fiber supply and then pull back. So you're doing the exact opposite of what you would be doing if you were spinning wool. It's you're, you're literally watching that point of, of where the twist is entering the fiber and you're pulling back gradually. Uh, now, what you can spin on, uh, yes, you can do something as simple as using a skewer and a bead, but you could also use your spinning wheel. Um, what you want to do is just make sure that you um, take get rid of the, most of the take up. You want to be moving at your own speed and you don't want the wheel grabbing the yarn before you're ready. You want to be able to build up twist. Um, but yeah, you can spin on just about anything. Uh, my favorite drop spindles are uh, one ounce in weight or less. Mm-hmm. If you're going to use a top whirl, um, supported spindles around that same, you know, one ounce or less. Um, lately, I've been spinning on um, mini bobbins where I use a shaft and then the, the little tiny craft bobbins that you can get. And the cool thing about using a mini bobbin to spin is that you can wind your fine, uh, your fine singles onto a bobbin so that they're safe and they can't uh, get tangled or unravel if you're traveling with them. Uh, so yeah, you can spin on just about anything. It's uh, forget everything that you heard about how hard cotton is to spin. If you get it when it's still lofty, especially if you can get handpicked, mm. it's going to be super easy to spin. Uh, just give it some time. And pretty soon you'll, you'll be spinning it. it, it it's a total meditation. Uh, it, it's it's one of my my getaway <laughs> tasks. Yeah, and you also sell hand painted spindles on your website, traditions and cloth as well, right? I do, and the reason why is because I really do want this to be accessible. And um, I've had this conversation once with an elder, and it's like, you know, what is that thing that you believe in and enjoy so much that you want to share with the world? And to me, it's this, you know, especially spinning. Spinning has taken me through so many seasons in life. You know, I stopped and started lots of things, mm-hmm. lots of crafts, but spinning's the one that, you know, when, even when I have no time and I'm overwhelmed or when I'm having, you know, the best of time ever, or when I just need to get away, spinning has always been that constant. And so that's that one thing that I, I feel like I need to share with everyone. And so on my site, um, 
that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I, I really want this to be accessible to everyone. It is such a joy for me. And I want to I want to get that out there. Um, same for weaving. And I'm still, um, you know, developing ways that I can help people uh, delve into it, because that's another thing, you know, creating your own fabric. It really is uh, an unspeakable joy and sense of accomplishment. I mean, we can all go to the store and buy fabric. <laughs> we can all <laughs> probably figure out how to sew a shirt, but to go from string to cloth to that in itself is so empowering. And I just feel like everybody needs to experience that, <laughs> you know, and I, I want to make it as affordable and accessible as possible. Yeah, that's amazing. And I feel like you're very successful at doing that with your website and, and also your blog, which is so beautiful. I think what I appreciate the most about your blog is that you speak from a very particular voice that I feel is very strong and that resonates a lot with me. And I'm sure a lot of other people who sometimes don't know how to articulate the feeling of working in fiber as a Black woman. And so... Um, I just wanted to reference one of your blog posts that anyone listening, I highly suggest that you go and read. I will make sure that it's linked in the description box. It's titled Claiming My Identity as a Black Weaver in the 21st Century America. You wrote, as I've thrown out the rule book, a certain aesthetic has defined itself within my work. I've had to acknowledge to myself that I am not just another weaver. I am a Black weaver, and that means something. The connections I draw from the traditions of the past are unique. My eye likes a certain look. I have different goals for my textiles. I like high contrast and jewel tones. I like simple patterning and blocks rather than entire fields. I like for design elements to be irregular. I weave in narrow strips. I piece the fabric together to make a larger fabric in order to limit waste. I, pan, I plan projects on the fly with few notes. This is me. Some may read this and think, why should race have to be a factor in this conversation? Honestly, I wish it weren't, and I fought it for years. I would challenge that person to imagine being an outlier in something that is so intertwined in your identity. Never seeing someone like yourself in any room, publication, or website. Connect with an ancient craft with no links or forms of reference other than the sappy, tragic, cotton-picking slave narrative. What are my traditions in cloth? Where is my place in American weaving history outside of toiling in the fields of southern cotton plantations? If I am an American weaver, where is my rightful, dignified representation in the history books? It's an odd yet necessary space to dwell. I have resolved that although Black Americans have limited participation in the American weaving tradition today, there is so much more to uncover about the past. There is only one American history and I am a part of it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it was just, honestly, it's, it was so beautiful. I've read it multiple times. It's like a, a reference for me because it's so perfectly articulates I feel the the placement of us as black women black Americans in this space wow well you just took me there even just listening because I I've never listened to to my own words come right back at me but it, it it really took me to the space and I think a lot of us are coming to this realization a lot of uh black uh 
fiber artists are realizing that if if the story is going to be told, we have to be willing to tell it. <laughs> we, we can't just go, okay, I don't really like this limited and, you know, polarized narrative. I, you know, there's really so much more to the story. Well, we, we can't say that and then not be willing to share. And so that's kind of uh, the main reason why I wrote the post. Um, but then at the same time, I also feel the need to help people make the connection between those people from way back when that toiled in the fields and me, we're the same Mm -hmm. and we're still here. And, you know, that had to actually, that came to me probably later in life than it should have. You know, my grandmother was uh, telling me, you know, a story of, of my relatives, you know, she was talking about her great uncle and how funny he was and this and that. And then I just stopped her, interrupted her and went, were they slaves? And she looked at me like, excuse me, you know, record scratch, <laughs> everything froze. And she went, that's your folks. That's your people. That's your family. And in and, and that, and that moment, for some reason, because I think we are taught our history um, as if there, this was them and those people. But in reality, we are an extension of those people and they are whole people. The very fact that we are here And we have a whole story to tell. Well, the whole story is their story too. And so for us to participate and share our experiences in fiber arts is to share their experiences in fiber arts. And so, you know, fast forward all the way to about uh, 2016, 2017, I I joined a, a fiber arts guild, a weaving guild, and I was starting to get that heavy feeling again because I've been fighting. You know, I've always found acceptance within the larger fiber community. However, I, I, that little, yeah, but where do you fit in here? You're a visitor. And then I found this book uh, uh, by Mary Madison. Um, it's actually a compila- compilation of uh, narratives or stories of, or from interviews of uh, formerly enslaved people. Notice I said formerly enslaved people, not slaves, people. And they were telling of their experiences with fiber arts and telling about how they used to weave coverlets and clothing and spin cotton to be used, you know, at, you know, and worn by themselves. And I just, that rounded the story. And suddenly I understood that even if, you know, you may, perhaps there's no museum to visit (laughs) or there's no, you know, collection of blankets and clothing that someone hand wove and hand spun, that doesn't mean it didn't exist. The very fact that I am sitting here, you know, doing these things says that, that, you know, we've always done this and we are not guests in this. Um, It is our heritage, you know? And so um, it just solidified what I needed to do. Um, I knew I would always, you know, continue with fiber arts, but just understanding just how important it is for me to practice and share, but then also do that in my own way and not feel constricted to following the dominant tradition, but to celebrate my own personal uh, way was so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I have used May Madison's book as a resource for a really long time. And for me, 
there were moments when I was reading that I would just pause and it's, it's a small book. It's not, it's not a lot of reading, but it's so powerful. You know, like you read a page and you just have to stop. And I was just so amazed that I had never read anything like that before. I was so amazed that I never learned anything like that before. And I went to school studying fibers and textiles, never heard anything like that before. No. Well, you you actually bring up a good point about um, how we could go to school. It's, you know, I studied textiles as well. And none of these things come up. I think the folk art tradition, mm-hmm. you know, we really, because of industrialization, we have sort of minimized, you know, what folk make and what folk create mm-hmm. and, and those techniques and those looks. And I think, um, yeah, reading that, uh, those narratives and how they would describe the cloth and then the, the way of designing. I, I remember one narrative in which uh, the weaver uh, talked about how she liked to add a little stripe of yellow and a little stripe of this and a little bit of that to add pizzazz. And I went, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so feeling like, okay, you, it's not just me. <laughs> right, right. So, um, yeah, those are so important. And I think what was, ha- what we're doing now where we're kind of, you know, open ourselves up to be, you know, interviewed and questioned because, you know, in, in real life, I've always been a pretty private person and, and really crafting, um, especially weaving, it's kind of a solitary type thing. Yeah. Uh, so kind of doing that out in the open is, is new, mm-hmm. um, but very necessary because I think it's so important. Um, I, I really just want, you know, some young kid, some high schooler, some recent college graduate, to just walk past and go, I could do that. I could totally do that. <laughs> you know, that looks, how is that done? What What do I need? How can I get started? I just, I want that to happen because uh, just like in me, it's something that I feel like I need to do. I really feel like there, uh, there are those out there who still need to discover it and realize that, wait, it's, this is yours too. <laughs> you got the bug. <laughs> you don't know it yet, but you got the bug. Right. I mean, even like when you look at the ways that Black fiber artists interpret different things or have different cultural signifiers in their work. There's another artist um, who was also on the podcast. Her name is Shaniqua. Yeah, and, yeah. And like the way she uses hair and braids, it's just, it's so cool and like so refreshing to just see it. So I'm so in love with what feels to me like a, a renaissance for us as Black fiber artists. And I think... Our ancestors have to be so proud. Have to be so proud <laughs> for sure. It's exactly what I feel. And actually, even recently, um, that really uh, kind of came to head. I, I was recently afforded the opportunity to do the immersion program at Bafstuga uh, Weaving School. It's a Swedish uh, weaving uh, school, and to go there and actually be in this eight-week program with other fiber artists and us, you know, sitting together and planning and creating projects, but then seeing how my filters manifested in my cloth and how that was, you know, acknowledged and appreciated uh, with the other weavers in the program was very special to me because I think we do really bring something unique to the fiber arts field. And, you know, even though we all sat through the same lesson. And we all got the same instructions and we were all using the same looms and the same structure. 
there was a look, <laughs> there was a certain look that came about. And it's so funny because, you know, the, the other uh, people in the group would be like, Melvinia, that is so you. And I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> you know, because that, um, yeah, it's just in us. And I think we need to get out there and share. And I think people can learn it. It's so funny because the last project that we did, we actually, it, it was an option to do a group project. But of course, if, you know, people didn't uh, end up agreeing upon color or um, the details, they could, you know, you could do your own. And so I was asked, I was like, uh, you know, they were like, Melvinia, what do you think about these colors? And I go, I think they look flat. <laughs> I think it needs something. And so I, I go, you know, we play around and we go back and forth and we play with proportions. And, and by the time we talked and went, you know, I, of course, you know, I loved it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I like that. And then the other person was like, oh, yeah, I like that we should do this together. And so now we all, we, the final project was a toe linen tablecloth and we all have this same tablecloth now in our house. And it was, you know, to me, it was such a special collaboration because, you know, we all had these different styles and different backgrounds. You know, one woman is a Hungarian, another woman, um, you know, had did not have any uh, prior weaving experience. But nonetheless, had you know, we all had different aesthetics, and for us to be able to come together and uh, me, you know, be an active participant, and it, it was just it's such a special feeling that yeah, it can be different, but it can also be appreciated. That's you know? beautiful. And can you talk a little bit more about your experience? I know you were kind of in um, like a remote area, or like, it was. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it, 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 for me, you know, for the most part, you know, black, most black Americans, we live usually in, you know, heavily populated areas, urban areas, we're, you're not going to catch us that far off the beaten path. Uh, you know, this place was in Shelburne, Massachusetts. Mm. And for me, especially, you know, as, as a single woman, um, to say that I'm going to leave my habitat <laughs> and then go to this other place that I know nothing about. And, you know, there's a remoteness. Then, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm probably going to be the only black person for miles. And what's going to happen to me? And, you know, are they going to accept me? That was scary at first. And I, you know, I have to be honest here on this platform that that did cross my mind. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be 800 miles from home. Mm-hmm. Is this safe? Mm. Um, but I'm so glad I did because I gained so much and, um, you know, I wouldn't trade the experience, uh, for the world. It was so important for me to see, um, these other traditions and actually how they were applied in a, a modern, um, context. You know, I, I grew up, uh, in my situation, you know, we, a tablecloth is, you know, something that, you know, plastic that you put on a table for a birthday party. (laughs) You know, we didn't, you know, napkins are, you know, come in a package and they are disposable. Mm -hmm. And so to go into this whole other world where, you know, everything is handwoven, you know, your chair covers, your cushions, your blankets, your rugs, your curtains, your outfit, your belt. I mean, everything was handwoven. And, and so colorful and so unique. It just let me see, you know, I've always woven clothing and accessories. Man, there is so much more to do. I mean, this is not just Table Runner Central. This is, you can weave anything and everything. And I was inspired by that, you know, seeing it practically used in a, a modern context. 
I'm like, wow, we have work to do. You know, I came back home and was like, okay, I got, I, I got to do some new chair covers. I got to do my curtains. I need a rug. I need, you know, it was like, boom, <laughs> let's go. And um, t- that really just further fueled my desire to share this because I feel like how many people can say, you know, I have, you know, the textiles in my house are special to me, are unique to me. I designed them. There's so much to gain there. Mm. I feel like you don't even, like, I didn't know I was missing it until I was in that context. You know, I didn't know that, you know, to dry your hands on hand-woven towels mm-hmm. <laughs> in the bathroom, it's like, oh, the luxury of it all. And I could do this. I could totally do this. Um, so that was special. And I hope more people uh, will find the um, opportunity to do something like that. Um, and also, if there's any listener listening to this podcast, if you're in a position where you could support Fabric of Life, um, please do so. Uh, they are doing wonderful things and sharing these skills. Um, so great experience. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. It sounds like you really were in a very immersive experience. Like you really were surrounded by the craft and got to see so much. I mean, I, I've never even thought about, I mean, I know that curtains are woven, but hand woven, I've never seen hand woven curtains. I would love to see. Yes. And how, I mean, that's the thing because you just think about we all kind of have an eye and a certain look that excites us. Mm-hmm. So imagine just looking around your house and just being hit by all the things you love, all the color you love, all the texture, all the pattern, because you designed it from scratch. And seeing that in that farmhouse was just so special. Um, there are some pictures. I've been plopping them on my blog, you know, here and there. So you're going to see more because uh, the first thing I did when I got home, I was like, oh, small is involved. It's uh, a brocade. Um, a loom control brocading uh, technique Mm. that was the first thing I had to do I fell in love with it and I was like I gotta do this now and I was like I'm gonna do some placemats and napkins (laughs) out of this small involved technique and so I just went to it and even though they don't I don't have a tablecloth that matches it I don't even care because it just makes my morning (laughs) to to put my new placemats out and and use my napkins (laughs) and and see that pattern um, because my colors you know, I, I am a jewel tone, high contrast. You would not find these on the shelf. Just put it that way. <laughs> but that means so much to me. And I just can't wait to do more projects. I got a, um, a coverlet on the uh, loom right now. And it's, it's in my it's in my look. And I'm so excited for that. And I, I, I would actually give it to that experience, you know, of, of being immersed in that, you know, that's driving me to just come home and just really change my change my world (laughs) yeah and since you've gotten back do you have any new projects that you're working on yeah um one of the most important projects I feel like I'm working on is I am finding ways to recreate some of my favorite projects but without the expensive tools um, the, the, the way weaving, especially, and even spinning is taught today is based, very tool centric, where you've got to buy 
you know, this equipment, you know, a, a new Swedish style loom is almost $6,000. Mm. So not only do you need to dedicate a room to it, you need $6,000, a used car worth <laughs> of money to get, to get a loom. But you can create a lot of these fabrics with literally, you know, just the sticks and strings. Um, I, right before I left uh, for Vastuga, um, I had actually started using uh, a portable clothing rack as a loom. Mm, and oh. and you, you, can, you can create some, some nice, beautiful, large swaths of fabric in that way very easily with just a portable clothing rack. So I'm, I'm just finding ways to hopefully simplify and streamline the process of weaving the same beautiful cloth but with simpler tools. Um, same with spinning. You don't need, I mean, you can go ahead and get an $800 spinning wheel. However, you can spin the same yard, yarn just as productively, you know, using a spindle. Here's how. <laughs> and so that's kind of my mission right now is streamlining those things. Aside from redecorating my whole house with handles. <laughs> And I can't wait to see those pictures, especially once you start to fill your house with uh, more hand movements. <laughs> For sure. It's coming. It's coming. This coverlet is, is shaping up real fast. So, <laughs> And we talked a little bit about your, well, quite a bit about your website, Traditions and Cloth. Can you let our listeners know how they can find you? What are some of the products that you sell and how they can support your work? Yeah, so you can find my blog and access my store through www.traditionsincloth.com. Traditions in Cloth is one word. And there you'll find my blog and the latest that I'm up to, but then also um, in my store. It's actually a big cartel store, but the link um, is available through the website. Um, You'll find some of my most fun projects that I've decided to offer for sale, but then you'll also find uh, tools and supplies to start spinning. (laughs) So if you have not taken the plunge into cotton spinning, head on over (laughs) because I do have some wonderfully prepped sliver that has been prepared with hand spinners in mind. Um, And um, I also have some um, affordable spindles. Uh, that you can use and uh, kits. Um, I also offer Mary Madison's book, Plantation Weavers Remember, if you're curious about that. Um, So just feel free to check in. Um, Basically, anything that I love and and am able to share, I'm providing it through my shop. So just keep checking in and um, hopefully you'll find a treat. Wonderful. And where can people go on social media and the internet to follow you as well? Hey, well, I am Traditions and Cloth on uh, Instagram. Um, on occasionally, I do post YouTube videos as well um, under the name Melvini M E L V E N Y. Um, but links to that are all uh, on www.traditionsandcloth.com. So if I'm up to something, uh, you'll be able to find it through the main site. Wonderful. So this has been such an amazing conversation and I know we could probably keep talking for hours. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But it's honestly, I'm just so grateful that you've shared so much um, about your personal journey and also your most recent journey. And I'm just so excited to see how you grow as a fiber artist and continue to share your journey and your findings with us. 
But before you go, I do have one question and it's the question that we ask everyone that joins a podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Yes, I think that probably the most important thing is to just start. Don't worry about how to start, where to start, with what to start, but just go for it. Once the inspiration hits, act on it. (laughs) And um, I I think a lot of people have um, a passion for fiber arts, but they're probably hesitant. Maybe you don't feel like you have the knowledge yet or you're worried about how much time it's going to take. Throw that out the window. Just start uh, is what I would I would uh, like to offer. Um, just just go for it. Do it your way. Don't worry about the outcome. Just enjoy the journey. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. If you're interested in learning more about Melvina's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.chisyarn.com slash episode dash 142. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.